Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder, gore, and assault. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The bustling metropolis of St. Paul, Minnesota looks considerably different today from the wooded frontier of 1839. It's hard to imagine that its first white settlers, a mere 33 adults in total, could have foreseen what the land would one day become. When visiting the city today, there is one name in particular that is bound to come up again and again, Sir Edward Phelan. Locals and visitors alike can enjoy a round of golf at the Phelan Golf Course, watch a show at Phelan Park Amphitheater, or sun themselves on the banks of Lake Phelan. All these namesakes honor Phelan as one of the land's first settlers. The Irishman carved out a name for himself in the heart of Minnesota, keeping his memory alive to this day. Of course, there is more to the Phelan name. Facts that might downright shock even the oldest of residents. Not only was Phelan one of the first settlers of Minnesota, he was also, most likely, their first murderer. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our only episode on the brutal death of Sergeant John Hayes. Today, we'll cover the sergeant's relationship with his suspected killer and how Phelan managed to turn his shady reputation into one of the most prominent names in Minnesota. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. The early life of Minnesota's first murder victim, Sergeant John Hayes, is as much of a mystery as his violent end. 
A military man through and through, most of what can be known about Hayes comes from his records when he re-enlisted in the spring of 1836. According to Hayes, he was born in Waterford, Ireland in 1799, making him around 37 years old when he arrived in Minnesota. The details of his move to North America are unclear, though it's evident Hayes found his calling in the Army. He carried his years of service on his slender frame. His dress was always neat and posture was near perfect. He kept his light hair neatly laid back and his face clean-shaven, which emphasized his bright blue eyes and long nose. His attention to detail impressed everyone he came across, especially his superiors at Fort Snelling. There, Hayes was assigned to Company E, 5th Infantry, in the spring of 1836. Located along the picturesque banks of the Mississippi River, Fort Snelling had been built as a vanguard against any sort of British attack. At the time, nearby Canada was the last colony in North America still under British rule. Hayes reported for duty on April 25, 1836. The assignment would change the course of his life forever when another man arrived in 1837. Name? Sergeant John Hayes, returning from break, sir. At ease, Sergeant. I take it this isn't your first time in the service? No, sir. I've served proudly in other infantry, sir. I thought so. You could even teach the men here a thing or two about presentation. Next. Ahem. <clears throat> Next. Huh? Uh, that's me, I suppose. Name? Phelan. Your full name, lad? Edward. I suggest you get in the habit of listening when a commanding officer asks you a question, Edward Phelan. I'll get right on that, sir. On with you. Next. Phelan, is it? I thought I spied a fellow Irishman. I grew up in Waterford. Whereabouts are you from? Derry. Uh, more recently, New York. Ah, a bit of a journey for you then. How'd you arrive at Fort Snelling? <laughs> well, it was either this or spent some of my best years rotting in a cell. I've tussled with men that would send the boys in this camp running back to their mothers. <laughs> with a frame like yours, lad, I've no doubt. I'm sure us sergeants here will find great use for you. And the whiskey on this side of the river is actually half-decent. You and I should share a toast to home sometime. I won't spend a penny on that hogwash they call liquor here. However, I'd never let a fellow Irishman drink alone. While the two men might have shared an Irish background, the similarities stopped there. In fact, many who knew Phelan reported him to be the total opposite of John Hayes in character and reputation. Hayes is uniformly described by those who knew him as honest, clever, and kind. It's no doubt that these traits helped Hayes climb Fort Snelling's ranks with ease, quickly earning him the prestigious rank of sergeant. Phelan was about 12 years younger than Hayes and had no ambitions when it came to his time in the Army. He started and ended as a private. Those who knew him characterized him as unscrupulous and even dangerous. His nature aside, Phelan stood out in physical characteristics alone. Muscular and tall, standing at over six feet, Phelan towered above much of the infantry. Between his imposing physique and reputation for starting fights, Phelan was a bit of an outcast amongst the other men at Fort Snelling. 
The fortress was made up of approximately 250 soldiers. They occupied the land with the first known inhabitants of Minnesota, the Dakota and the Ojibwe tribes, who were rivals. During this time of peace, Fort Snelling soldiers were mostly charged with farming and cleaning while they remained as a deterrent against British military aggression. In 1837, the United States signed a treaty with the Ojibwe tribe, purchasing land that stretched from present-day western Wisconsin across eastern and central Minnesota. This opened up the land for settlement, and some of it would become St. Paul. The U.S. settlement of the land was top of mind for Sergeant Hayes. After years of traveling, Hayes had grown tired of moving around and decided to settle right there in Minnesota as soon as his deployment was up. Despite their differences, Hayes saw an opportunity in Phelan in June of 1838. Here's to Snelling and the promise of a better tomorrow. Cheers to getting out tomorrow. <laughs> I feel sorry for you, Hayes. Cooped up here for another ten months? I don't mind the work. I might feel differently if I had a woman waiting for me. But in the meantime, the service has always treated me well. And I must say, the land here has grown on me. Aye, we're in agreement there, Hayes. I wouldn't mind a parcel here to call my own. So why don't you cross the river tomorrow and claim one? Ha! <laughs> I've hardly enough funds. The service doesn't give us all the same treatment, does it, Sergeant? Perhaps we could come to an arrangement that would benefit us both. Go on. Say I send you off tomorrow with enough money to claim two tracts of land. One for you, and the other myself. Sounds like a fine idea so far. Though I must confess I'm waiting for a catch. No real catch. Unless you mind getting your hands dirty, which I know you don't. You're going to need to construct a cabin. By the time I get out, I'll lodge with you while I build my own shanty. What do you say? Sergeant, you've got yourself a deal. After multiple assignments in the military and remaining a bachelor all his life, Hayes had accumulated a rather generous savings, making $15 a month as a sergeant. Certainly much more than Private Phelan had ever seen, living off his measly salary of $6 a month, according to research by St. Paul historian Gary Brueggemann in his 2013 book on Phelan. The agreement was simple and put into motion immediately. As soon as Phelan was released from the line of duty on June 8, 1839, he journeyed across the river with Hayes' money in his pocket. From there, Phelan fulfilled his promise by securing two plots of land, one for himself and the other for Sergeant Hayes. Over the course of 10 months, Phelan got to work constructing the small cabin for the two men to occupy together. And so, when Hayes reached the end of his service on April 25, 1839, he was eager to see the home he'd invested in and to start his new life amongst the first settlers of St. Paul. Hayes hustled along the banks of the Mississippi to where Phelan waved at him in front of a small wooden shanty. Ah, there's the sergeant. Welcome home, old man. <laughs> At long last. I've been trying to picture this place in my mind for months. Come on in, then. Watch your step. So, what do you think? Quarters will be tight. I must say, I did envision something larger. 
Then you should have coughed up more up front, Hayes. The amount you gave me was hardly enough to cover the cost of the lumber for this place. Plus, I've got enough livestock for each of us. You're lucky there's even a roof. Well, it could certainly use a good dusting in here. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I didn't know you were expecting a craftsman and a maid. Perhaps you could pick up a broom while I inspect the other tract of land. Mm, sorry, Sergeant. I'm afraid my days of taking orders are behind me. Very well. I'll see to it myself. If the cramped quarters and glaring age gap of 12 years wasn't enough, the two roommates likely struggled to shake off the ranks of private to sergeant. Though the living arrangement was less than ideal, Phelan and Hayes were roommates for the next four months. Until September of 1839, when Hayes' hopeful future came to a gruesome end. Coming up, John Hayes mysteriously disappears. What could be more shocking than uncovering the dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Molly from the Parkhead series Conspiracy Theories. Each week, we take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction, revealing that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. The Rise and Fall of J. Edgar Hoover, 75 Years of Roswell, The Tragic Death of Princess Diana. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may be just outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Forty-year-old Sergeant John Hayes was frustrated with his roommate, Edward Phelan, by September of 1839. They were living together under tight quarters while Hayes attempted to build his own home on his own plot of land. Tensions between the two must have built up quite a bit in a short time. September 4, 1839 should have been a joyous day for the settlers of St. Paul. Genevieve Gervais had given birth to one of the first children in the new territory with her husband, Ben. Many in the small community had already visited the couple's cabin the morning of September 6th to congratulate them. Edward Phelan stopped by that afternoon. Phelan? What can I do for you? I suppose I should be asking you that, shouldn't I? I wanted to see St. Paul's newest settler. Ah, well, the child is sleeping, I'm afraid, and Genevieve... Is that Edward Phelan? Please, come inside. Is Hayes with you? Mm, Afraid not. The sergeant's gone off in search of a calf of ours that's gone missing. Hayes was convinced a Dakota tribe member snagged him and wanted to see for himself. I helped put him in a canoe across the river this morning. Oh, what a shame. 
Well, here. Come on in and have a peek at our angel, I insist. Just be careful not to wake him. Two days later, on September 8th, Phelan showed up at their door again. Phelan! Heavens, man! Is everything all right? I was just wondering if you'd seen any sign of haze. Well, no, of course we haven't. Why? Hasn't he been home? Not since he left in search of the calf, no. The little thing wandered back into the property this morning, but no haze. He's probably stopped down by the fur trader's outpost. Down at Hayes and Moore's place. Sorry to have troubled you. Uh, now wait a minute, Phelan. The Justice of the Peace lives just right next door. We could go to him and let him know Hayes hasn't returned home yet. Oh, perhaps if my clothes were not so bad. <laughs> really, I'm sure he'll return tonight. If not, I'll get a search on by the morning. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, you'll keep us informed, won't you? Uh, to be sure. The young couple found Phelan's refusal to seek help more than a little suspicious. When Hayes still had not returned by the following morning on September 9, 1839, three full days after reportedly setting out across the river, an official search was set in motion. The neighbor he'd alerted, Ben Gervais, was a 47-year-old highly seasoned fur trapper with an expert knowledge of hunting in the outdoors. He teamed up with Phelan in search of Sergeant Hayes, starting at the riverbank where Phelan supposedly dropped him off. Ben noted how despite Phelan's story, there were no signs of footprints anywhere. Though it had been days, tracks left behind from the shoes of a full-grown man would have still been perceptible. The men continued to search up and down the river but could find no indication Hayes was ever there. Phelan continued the search on Wednesday, September 11th, heading up to Fort Snelling to ask one of the Army's interpreters for assistance in the search. They engaged the Dakota and the Ojibwe tribes in the area, but still got no real indication as to where Hayes had gone. After conducting two separate searches, Phelan was ready to admit defeat. Well, men, I appreciate your efforts, though I fear they were for nothing. Poor old Hayes must have been captured or killed by the Dakota. Surely, if he'd been taken by force, we'd see some sign of a struggle. There's nothing here, not so much as a footprint. Perhaps a change in the weather washed the tracks away. Hayes himself once suspected trouble from the Dakota. One of the younger boys shot at Hayes just a few months ago. Any hope of finding Hayes was quickly dwindling until 16 days later when officers at Fort Snelling were alerted to some devastating news. The 40-year-old former sergeant's body had been found. Because this was the first death documented in the region, there were no established procedures for the discovery and handling of a corpse. This might explain why it wasn't until two days later, on September the 29th, 1839, that Phelan said he was alerted to the discovery. <coughs> Phelan, it's Hayes. What about him? He, he's dead. He's washed up near Carver's cave. Is that right? His face is... Well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but we need you to come and take a look at the body. It's just a short way, about a mile down the river. I'll lead you there. That's too dark. 
I'll head that way at sunrise. Are you certain? I... Phelan, appearing to be in no real rush, waited until the early morning hours of September the 30th to view the body he'd been notified of. Traveling alone, Phelan made his way down the river to Carver's cave where the settler told him the body would be. Hayes was horribly disfigured. Phelan was only able to recognize Hayes by his distinct long nose. Perhaps in an effort to show some sort of reverence for his lost friend, Phelan pulled Hayes' body from the water and covered it in grass and sand. When a doctor finally had a chance to review Hayes' body closely, he was mortified by what he found. I've never seen anything like it. Every bone in his face has been shattered to splinters. Someone looked this poor man in the eye and clubbed him to death. With what, I don't know. Something blunt and heavy. I recommend we bury the deceased as soon as possible. Instead of being transported back to Fort Snelling for internment, Hayes was immediately buried near the cave where he was found. People wondered if Hayes was killed in a crime of passion. Naturally, suspicion fell on the only man who knew him most intimately. By October of 1839, a warrant was put out for the arrest of Edward Phelan. Phelan could hardly keep his story straight. We'll try this again, Phelan. I need you to tell me everything you remember about the last time you saw Sergeant Hayes. He disappeared on Friday. I helped put him in his canoe across the river about 9 or 10 o'clock that morning. Did he say when he would be back? He told me to keep a lookout for him around that evening, but he never showed. He was just going to see if a member of the tribe had the calf we were missing. Um, no plans to take it back that I know of. Did he mention anticipating some kind of confrontation? Was he armed? None that I saw. He didn't show any fear or hesitation about the journey, but then again, <laughs> what military man ever does. What about valuables? Did he have any money on him? Any reason someone might want to rob him? The sergeant was always private when it came to his money affairs. I was his closest confidant. Now, I knew he held on to a good amount of his earnings over the years. He bought our livestock, and I do all the farming to hold up my end. But no. No, I don't know of any other money he would have had on him. He was, however, wearing his best clothes. I didn't think of it at the time, though I suspect that that could have been enough. Phelan's testimony was fraught with contradictions. In it, he states that Hayes was unarmed and alone and had no fear of the Native Americans, though earlier he informed his neighbors that Hayes had been anticipating a confrontation. The mention of Hayes' clothes is also peculiar. The medical examiner noted upon his review that the corpse he examined was entirely naked. It's possible that in the time Phelan covered the body with sand, he could have removed the clothes to further incriminate the Dakota or Ojibwe, who might have seen the clothing as valuable. Or if Hayes was murdered the night before on the 5th and not on the morning of the 6th, as Phelan's testimony would imply, he could have been wearing night clothes, in which case Phelan's disposal of them would be crucial. Phelan's story only made him look more suspicious. Interestingly enough, Phelan also made no mention of his actions on the night of September 5th or 6th, 
so he had no alibi. Yet, while Phelan had no explanation for his whereabouts, two other people did. Coming up, a shocking revelation sends Edward Phelan before a grand jury. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Now, back to the story. All eyes were on Edward Phelan in October of 1839. He was suspected of brutally murdering his business partner and roommate, the beloved John Hayes. The middle-aged retired sergeant was slain after taking several blows to the face with some sort of blunt object. As much as Phelan tried to cast the blame aside, the walls of the investigation were now caving in on him. Two lumberjacks came forward to the Justice of the Peace to share their accounts of September the 5th, the last night Hayes was seen alive. Their testimony was given in a hearing held by the justice and would all but seal the fate of the Irishman. I was up at Fort Snelling with Sergeant Hayes. I knew him well. He was a good man. My partner and I were on our way up to Mendota and decided to rest a bit over at Evans' cabin. Evans served with me over at Snelling, too. Sure. So it was about nine o'clock at night when all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. Evans goes to answer it and there's Phelan. He was covered in mud and gripping a canoe paddle. Strange. Did he say what happened? He just told us he'd been looking for his calf when he accidentally fell in the creek. He bunked at Evans' house that night. Then the next morning, my partner and I were heading down the Mississippi around 8 o'clock when we saw Phelan's canoe. Where was he headed? He docked just at his landing. We tried to motion to him, but he appeared not to hear us and headed directly for his cabin on the hill. We were hoping to maybe get a look at his land. So we pulled up at his dock. I noticed a trail immediately and started to follow it some 75 yards. That's when I saw it. Go on. Blood. It looked fresh, and there was a considerable amount of it. It was splattered across the brush. I trekked back to inform Phelan of what I found, but he was already standing outside his cabin. What did he say when you told him what you'd seen? He insisted it must be his neighbor's calf who'd been slain. He didn't even wish to view it himself. He just insisted he give me a tour of the root cellar. And you didn't see any sign of Hayes? None. I reckon we set off from Phelan's around 9 o'clock that morning. I had to tell you, officer. Ever since I heard about Hayes, I can't get that day out of my head. This testimony from the two lumberjacks greatly undermined Phelan's defense. 
The canoe paddle Phelan carried could have easily been the blunt object Hayes was murdered with. Even more incriminating, the mud on his clothes might suggest a frantic attempt to mask bloodstains. Other witnesses went on to say they saw Phelan in his canoe the following morning around 8.30. This created complications for Phelan's account that he helped Hayes set off in the early morning hours. And of course, the blood on Phelan's property appeared fresh and couldn't have been there for longer than a day. The brush around the area was badly beaten down, perhaps suggesting Hayes was dragged over it. Phelan's reaction to learning of the blood is even more strange. If he had been missing a calf, it would only make sense for him to go and check out the scene. For him to suggest it must have belonged to his neighbor without even looking just doesn't add up. On November 3, 1839, the Frontier Justice of the Peace came to the conclusion that Phelan was guilty. He sent Phelan to jail in Prairie du Chien, presumably to await a grand jury and likely trial. Here is where the first murder case in Minnesota becomes even more of a mystery. Few records of Phelan's trial were ever kept, and they were spotty at best. What is clear is that Phelan's defense overcame all charges, and Phelan returned to the frontier sometime in the spring of 1840. After having been jailed for several months on suspicion of Hayes' murder, he returned to try and claim the beloved sergeant's land for himself. He went so far as to physically threaten the land's new occupant, showing up to the property late at night to intimidate him. Understandably, the residents of the settlement didn't offer him the warmest of welcomes. In June of 1841, Phelan cut his losses and settled the dispute. He left and headed further upriver. Traveling north, Phelan found a sprawling and wild piece of land. The creek that ran alongside it would later be known as Phelan's Creek. The 239-acre land also contained a large lake and was deemed Phelan's Lake. Phelan continued to farm during this time and lived in relative isolation for four years. After selling the land in 1844, he moved once again to the other side of the creek, a territory known as Prospect Hill. This move to Prospect Hill was an advantageous one for Phelan. Perhaps this fresh start gave him the chance to truly become a different man. In the summer of 1848, defying all odds, Phelan was elected as one of two representatives for Prospect Hill in the Minnesota Territorial Convention. Life seemed to be better than ever for Edward Phelan until the spring of 1850, when Phelan unexpectedly skipped town. He was indicted by a grand jury on the charges of perjury. The details of his charges remain vague, though without a doubt, Phelan had lied before to the Justice of the Peace more than once during the murder investigation. Nearly 40 years old now, the Irishman slipped out into the night and headed for California, he would never make it there. Somewhere out on the wild plains on an unnamed plot of land, Edward Phelan was violently murdered. An account states he was the instigator in a caravan of fellow travelers, and they were forced to kill him in self-defense. With that, Edward Phelan took his secrets to the grave. We'll never know if Phelan actually killed John Hayes, 
but it's not hard to imagine what happened. All evidence points to Hayes being murdered on the night of September the 5th. The same night Phelan wandered up to a friend's cabin, covered in mud and clutching a paddle. The fact that Hayes was murdered with repeated strikes directly to his face indicates a crime of passion. Phelan was the only person in the region with that close a connection to Hayes, and by his own admission, Phelan had a knack for violence. Perhaps the power dynamic between the two men was more than Phelan's fragile ego could handle. One disagreement too many, and Phelan decided to take Hayes' life and land for himself. When looking at motive, means, and opportunity, Phelan easily checks off all three boxes, especially since he had time to tamper with the evidence before any medical examiner had a chance to look at the body. He could have even removed all of Hayes' clothing to incriminate the Native Americans. Of course, both the Dakota and Ojibwe practiced peaceful existences. Most would rarely use violence unless provoked, and Hayes didn't make a habit of provoking them. This was just one of many reasons Phelan's explanation seemed flimsy at best. No doubt a sense of karmic retribution and irony hangs over Phelan's violent ending. Yet his name lives on across the streets of St. Paul today. Efforts have been made in the past to have the name changed, but have never gone far. While Edward Phelan may have had a hand in writing his own history, John Hayes was lost to obscurity. Today, he remains a mostly unnamed founding father of Minnesota. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. For more information on John Hayes, amongst the many sources we used, we found Minnesota's Oldest Murder Mystery by Gary Brueggemann extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Ellie Margolis, edited by Giles Hofseth, fact-checked by Lori Siegel, researched by Mickey Taylor, and produced by Freddie Beckley. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Tiana Camacho, Drew Lawn, Joe Hernandez, and Cameron Nicod. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. <laughs>